it is a joy to welcome you this morning. If you have your Bibles, please open to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, we're going to be looking at verses 18 through 24 as we are in our second week of Advent. Again, one of my favorite times of the year. Advent means coming. Um, it helps us um, as we think about Christ's coming that we are still as God's people, longing and expecting and waiting on Christ's return. We are God's people awaiting Christ's return. Now this Advent season, we're focusing on four simple truths. Four simple truths that should help us, that should help shape our experience of Advent together. And here they are, we talked about this last week. Truth number one is that God speaks to His people. The Bible from front to back teaches us that God longs to speak to his people and he's speaking to us through Jesus. The second truth that we're going to focus on today is that God comes to his people. He not only speaks but he comes to his people. Next week, truth three, we will look at that God saves his people and then truth four, God reigns over his people. And all those truths find their fullest expression in Christ Jesus. God speaks through Jesus. God comes to us through Jesus. God saves us through Jesus. And God reigns over us through Jesus. Now, again, this morning we're focusing on the fact that God comes for His people through Jesus. Now, one of my favorite movies, for anybody that's been around me, I'm a movie nerd, um, but one of my favorite movies, you're going to say, is Lord of the Rings? No, even though it is. But one of my favorite movies is The Princess Bride, okay? So I'm a sucker for good movies like The Princess Bride. I love The Princess Bride. It's an incredible love story. Now, it doesn't have any sports in it, but, quote, it does have this. It has fencing, fighting, torture, poison, true love, hate, revenge, giants, hunters, bad men, good men, beautifulest ladies, snakes, spiders, beasts of all natures and descriptions, Pain, death, brave men, coward men, strongest men, chases, escapes, lies, truths, passion, and miracles. It's a great story. It's a great story. Now, one of my favorite lines from the movie is this. Um, so, one of my favorite lines is when Wesley, who is the virtuous hero, is about to be taken from Buttercup and thrown into the pit of despair... And Buttercup is his true love, and she is completely distraught at the thought of losing Wesley again. And Wesley leans in and says this to her. He says, know this, I will always come for you. That's a line there, guys. You need to, you need to write that one down, whisper that one in your lady's ear, okay? But this is what he says. He says, know this, I will always come for you. And Buttercup replies, how can you be sure and Wesley says, this is true love. Do you think this happens every day? And that's why it's a comedy, because he ruins it right there. Now, we love stories like this. I love stories like this. We love good stories like this because they're an echo of the story that we're all a part of, the true story of our world. Wesley is compelled by true love to pursue his beloved, to brave all the dangers so that he can come for Buttercup, the object of his affection. This is an echo of God's story in the Bible. God relentlessly pursues his people and comes for them. He will not abandon them or forsake them. That is the truth of Advent. So let's look at Matthew chapter 1. 
Let me read verses 18 through 24, and then we'll come back to this text at the end. And so this is what he says. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they had come together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. This is from Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, as we look at this, the story of Christ's birth, God coming for his people, Emmanuel, God with us, the story did not begin here in Matthew chapter 1. The story actually goes all the way back to Genesis. So let's walk through the Old Testament together and see how God's story, the story of the Bible, is always a story of God coming for his people. That's what God does. So here's what we're going to do, and we'll break it into a few sections. Here's my first point. In the very beginning, God creates his people to be in a loving, relation, a loving covenant relationship with him. This is how the Bible opens up in the very beginning in Genesis 1 and 2. So let me give you a recap of what happens there. If you were to go back to Genesis 1 and 2, you find the story of creation where God creates all things and he speaks everything into existence. He forms the man of the dust of the earth and breathes into his nostrils the breath of life. He becomes a living soul and then he takes Adam and out of Adam he fashions Eve and he creates man and woman in his image. And then what does God do? God fellowships with them and walks with them in a loving covenant relationship day by day. At this moment, they live in a perfect relationship with God, a perfect relationship with one another, and a perfect relationship with creation that they are to rule over and steward for God's glory. This is paradise, but the story takes a dark turn. Just a few just three chapters in, in Genesis 3, paradise is lost. Through Adam and Eve, sin and rebellion, they forsake this loving covenant relationship with God and exchange it instead for a relationship with sin and brokenness. Believing the lie of the serpent and being deceived, they ate the forbidden fruit, and for the first time, sin and death enter into our existence. It's a tragic story. But this is the story of our world. Just open your eyes and look around us. The fall and brokenness of creation around us is the most self-evident and visibly plain evidence of the truthfulness of God's Word. It's actually the only part of Christian theology I can prove to you outright that our world is broken. It is completely self-evident. Look around. Open your eyes. And so what happens at this moment, all of those relationships are destroyed. Their relationship with God is broken. Their relationship with one another is broken. The relationship with creation is broken. And it is at this moment 
that God could walk away from His creation and leave us in this condition forever and forsake us and leave us in our sin. But that is not what God does. Notice the next point. What does God do instead? No, God comes to His people, even in their rebellion and sin. This is what God does. In Genesis 3, verses 8 and 10, right after Adam and Eve eat the fruit and they realize that they have been deceived and they are now naked and filled with shame and fear and, um, and they are hiding from the Lord. This is what it says in Genesis 3. It says, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. For the first time ever, Adam and Eve feel shame and fear and nakedness because of their sin. Though sin has broken the relationship, now Adam and Eve are for the first time in their existence filled with shame and fear at God's presence. Day by day before this, they had walked with God in a covenant-loving relationship, not fearing Him, not hiding from Him, but walking in fellowship with God face to face. And now, for the first time, they are hiding. But what is God doing? He is still pursuing them. He has still come to the garden to walk among them. It's not because of them They are now in sin, separated from God. No, it's because of who God is. God in His grace is moved moved with compassion towards His people, though they do not deserve it. God creates us to be in a loving covenant relationship. We've destroyed that because of our sin and rebellion, and yet God still comes for His people. What a foreshadowing of the gospel. But then notice there's a third truth. Next in the Bible, in the story of God, God comes to His people to reestablish His covenant to be their God. Well, the story moves on um, after that, and you get after the flood, and you get to this man named Abraham in Genesis 17. And God comes to Abraham, who is from Babylonia, Ur of the Chaldeans, and God does something with Abram that is absolutely beautiful. He says this in Genesis 17. He comes to Abram, and God says this. He says, I will establish my covenant between me and you. I'm going to make a covenant. I'm going to reestablish this covenant that I've had with my people. You're going to be my people and I'm going to be your God. He says, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations as an everlasting covenant. Here's Here's the covenant. Listen. To be God to you and to your offspring after you. I will give to you and your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession. I will be their God. So God comes and He reestablishes His covenant with His people, just like the covenant He had with Adam and Eve in the garden. And God says, I will be your God. So God's covenant blessing goes from Abraham and on through that line of Abraham to Isaac and then to Jacob. And then Jacob has 12 sons, and out of those sons, they all become jealous of this one kid named Joseph, right? Due to his dreams and his father's partiality to him, giving him a coat of many colors, and they become jealous of Joseph due to his dreams, and so what do they do? They take Joseph, and they, out of their, out of their jealousy for him, they sell him into slavery into Egypt. 
And they tell their father Jacob that Joseph has died. But in God's loving providence, God raises up Joseph to be second in command in Egypt and uses Joseph's position to rescue his people from famine. And all of Israel, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, move to Goshen and they live there peacefully and they prosper um, there. But on Joseph's deathbed, something happens. So I'm all the way to the end of Genesis now. Genesis 50. Joseph is on his deathbed and he makes this prophecy. Listen to what he says in Genesis 50. He says, And Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will visit you. Hear that. God will come for you. God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham. The covenant he made with Abraham will not fail. God will bring you back to Canaan. He said, I'll bring you back to the land that he swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. What they didn't know then, hear me, what they didn't know at that moment is there will be 430 years of slavery after Joseph's death. For 430 years, that promise would lay to the wayside. But God will not forsake his people. The next movement in God's word is number four. God comes to his people. God comes to his people. He reestablishes his covenant. But then God comes to his people in their misery and in their slavery. God visits them like he said in Egypt. In Exodus 2, it says this. This is how the book of Exodus begins. 430 years have passed. It says this. During those many days, the king of Egypt died. And the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. Now listen to this. This is one of the greatest verses in all the Old Testament. He says, and God heard their groaning. God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. Do you hear that? Four things right there. God heard, God remembered his covenant, God saw, and God knew. And what does God do? He comes to rescue them. He raises up Moses, who grew up as a son of Pharaoh, but was secretly a Hebrew. And God sends Moses to rescue his people from Pharaoh. God sends ten plagues on Egypt. And the last plague, the, the angel of death, destroying the firstborn of every family, from the least to the greatest, both man and beast. And even Pharaoh's firstborn was killed that night as the angel of death passed over. But... Whichever family had taken the lamb's blood and put over their doorposts that night were spared from the angel of death. And the Passover was instituted that night and pointed to the truth that God would come for his people. Every time they celebrated the Passover, it would remind them of the truth that God comes for his people to rescue them. And then after their exodus from Egypt, God makes this promise. God leads them out of Egypt. And at Leviticus 26, he says this, I will walk among you, and I will be your God, and you shall be my people. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. That's God's promise. I will come for my people and walk with you and among you. So what does God do? He brings them out of Egypt to the land that he promised to Abraham all those centuries earlier, the land of Canaan. 
Moses warns them as they enter into the land that if they rebel against the Lord, the land will spew them out. If you go into the promised land and you forsake my covenant with you and you rebel against me, then even this land will spew you out. And, God, and Moses warns them before they even go in. So they, through Joshua, they conquer the land and commit themselves to serving the Lord. But then they rebel again. They sinfully establish a king over them named Saul, even though God was their king. They choose Saul, but what did God do? God chose David, a man after his own heart. And David ruled well despite his faults and sin, and his son Solomon takes the throne after his death, and he builds the temple in Jerusalem. But after Solomon dies, the nation falls into disarray. The nation falls into evil, and they, they forsake their relationship to the Lord. And then there are some good kings. If you read through First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles, there are good kings and there are bad kings, but there's a whole lot of bad kings. And God eventually splits the kingdom in half and sends Nebuchadnezzar to come and destroy nation, the nation of Israel. Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon comes in and he carries all the people out of the land into exile in Babylon in 586 B.C. Looks like everything is, everything is broken. Where is God? They are, they, the land is destroyed. It looks like the covenant is broken. But God will not forsake his people or abandon them in Babylon. So what happens next? What happens next? We're all the way now to the, the, the major prophets in the Old Testament. No, the truth is that God comes to His people even in exile. He will not forsake His people. God comes for His people over and over and over again. Listen to the, the great promise of Jeremiah 29. You quote, people quote this all the time, usually out of context. Listen to, how God, listen to what God says in Jeremiah 29. He says, for thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you. I'm coming for you. I will visit my people again. He says, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you, and you will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore to you your fortunes and gather you from the nations and all the places I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back. From the place I sent you into exile. God says even though you were destroyed because of your sin. I will come for you and I will bring you back from Babylon. So what does God do? God again comes for his people. He brings them home from Babylon. And they begin rebuilding the temple in Jerusalem. And have a time of national revival. This is under Nehemiah. The entire Old Testament is a story of God coming for his people. That's what God does over and over again. It's the story of our sin, our rebellion, our judgment, then God sending repentance and sending revival. God relentlessly pursuing those who don't, who don't deserve His love, mercy, or grace. At no time did Israel deserve God's goodness. At no time do we deserve God's goodness or, just, or, or, or His mercy or grace. But then, after the close of that... The Old Testament ends with 400 years of silence. No prophecies, no prophets, 
No word from the Lord, no vision, and that's how the Old Testament ends. And you have to wonder at this point in the story, where has God gone this 400 years? It seems like he forsook them 400 years in Egypt, and now he's forsaken them 400 years at the close of Malachi. Where is God gone? Has he forgotten his people? Has he forfeited his promises? Where is the Lord? Where is Yahweh, the God of Israel? Well, this is Advent. When you turn in your Bible from the end of Malachi over to where it says New Testament and you flip to Matthew 1 and Luke 2, you find Yahweh, the God of Israel, lying in a manger in Bethlehem. God has come for His people Himself. God's Messiah the promised one, the anointed one, is in Bethlehem, in a manger, as the fulfillment of all of God's prophecies and promises. And it's here you recognize that all of God's pursuit of His people throughout the Old Testament is a foreshadowing of this one great event. That God Himself has come in the person of Jesus. Listen to what Micah 5.2 says. This is all the Christmas story. Here, kids, make these connections. Pay attention. This is the Bible coming to life. Micah, two, Micah 5 2 says, But you, O Bethlehem, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth from me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, the ancient of days. Or Malachi 3 1, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. This is God himself coming to his people. Luke 1 30, this is when the angel says to Mary, he says, do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. This isn't just an ordinary baby laying in a manger. No, this is the son of the Most High God. And I will give to him the throne of his father David. He's also a king. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. This is the Son of God. And then Matthew, the text we just read, it says, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. That is the whole point this morning. Emmanuel is God coming for his people. This is God with us. This is John 1, where it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then it skipped down to verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is the truth we need to understand during this Advent season. That the whole story of the Bible is the story that God relentlessly pursues His people and comes for them. Now as I close, I want to give you four things that you can take home with you about this. Four things. I want, this, I want this to soak into your soul 
And I want you to meditate on this as you go through this season, this truth that God comes for His people. Here's the first one. You don't miss this. This is the gospel truth. God comes, and God comes for His people through Christ. He pursues us and comes to us. Here's the point. All because of His great love and grace for us. All of God's coming for us is based on His grace and mercy towards us. We don't deserve it. We don't deserve God to come and rescue us. We don't deserve God to come for us in our sin and rebellion. But God comes anyway. He comes for His people. So no matter, hear me, all of us in here are strugglers. Amen? All of us in here are sufferers. That's all of us. Here is the gospel good news for you. No matter how big your failures, no matter how big your failures, no matter how deep your hurts, no matter how visible your scars, just dwell on that for a minute. No matter how big your failures, deep your hurts, or visible your scars, if you come to Jesus, He will welcome you and come to you. That is the only hope we have as believers. That He comes to us in mercy and grace. He will run to you. He will receive you. This is the picture of the prodigal son. This son who squanders everything about his relationship to his father. Who demands his father's death. Demands his inheritance and goes into a faraway country. And squanders everything he has. And then he comes to his senses and says, I'm going home. And what has happened? On his way home, the father sees his son from afar. And what does he do? Does he reject him? Does he push him away? Does he, does he um, shun him? No. What does he do? He picks up his robe and he runs to his son and falls on him and kisses him and receives him. That's the truth for us. No matter how big you're hurt, if you come to Jesus, he will come to you. He is ready to welcome you and receive you. The second truth is that God desires to draw near to us. I know our sin doesn't let us believe that, but it's true that God desires to draw near to us. This is why we can draw near to Him. Our God is a God of relationship, fellowship, and blessing through Jesus. He is moved with compassion for His children. You, it is hard for us to believe how much God loves us in Christ. That Christ would bear God's wrath for us, take our place, and the only thing left for us is His love, grace, and mercy. Sure, He disciplines His children because He loves us. But there is no anger or wrath left for us. It is only love, grace, and mercy for eternity. So you can draw near to Him this Advent season, and He'll draw near to you. I promise. That's what He promises. If you draw near to Him, He will draw near to you. Third truth, in Christ, in Christ, God condescends to come and live among His people. Just think about that truth, that God in Christ comes to live among His people. That's what He does. And now, Christ indwells believers by His Spirit. If you are in Christ, then Christ lives in you. He is Emmanuel every day for the believer. 
We celebrate Advent every day as a Christian, that every day I wake up with the presence of Jesus in me. That is the hope we have. He is Emmanuel every day. And one day, one day Jesus is coming again. One day he will come again, bringing with him a new heavens and new earth. And on that day, the paradise that was lost in the garden will be restored. And God again will dwell with his people. And all causes for sin and sorrow will be gone. That's what we're longing for and waiting for right now. The day he comes again. Revelation 21 says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with him as their God and he will um, wipe away every tear from their eyes and death will be no more and neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain for the former things that passed away God comes for his people and he's coming again and here's the last thing the last truth I want to comfort your hearts with while we wait on Jesus's return and while Advent should teach us to long for this day by day, as we as children long for Christmas morning, the day we get to open presents, we long for the day Christ returned. But here's the truth. If Christ's next Advent tarries, if Christ's next Advent tarries, and each of us die before that time, if Christ tarries another hundred years, none of us in here will be left alive. If Christ's advent tarries and each of us die before that time, then here's the truth. God will come for us at that moment. Christ will come for us at that moment and he will welcome us into glory hand in hand with our Savior. Jesus will walk through death's door with us and he will keep us to himself forever, keeping his promise that I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we have no reason to fear. If Jesus tarries, He will come for us each at our moment of passing. That is the hope we have. So this Advent season, rest in the truth that God comes for His people through Jesus. And now if Jesus is speaking to you and He's calling you, come to Him. Come to him. Jesus says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So as the, as the whole story of the Old Testament, as, as Jesus comes for his people, the story of the Bible is also an invitation where Jesus stands arms open and he says, if you come to me, I will receive you. So this morning, if you don't know Jesus, then come in repentance and faith, receiving Christ Jesus as Lord. And he will come to you and receive you and you will find forgiveness and peace and you will be reconciled to Christ and to the Father and you will have the hope of eternal life. If you're a Christian this morning, Maybe you need to come in repentance and say, Lord Jesus, I have held on to my sin when I should have been clinging to Jesus. So maybe you need to come to him. And this morning, if you need a, a church home, we invite you to come and be a part of ours. We're a bunch of strugglers and sufferers, but we walk towards Jesus together. Would you pray with me? Father, we ask that you would bless our time together. And Father, we are grateful for the truth that you pursue your people. Father, it is hard for us to fathom the depth 
of your love and your grace and mercy towards us in Jesus. Father, you have never forsaken us. We have never been abandoned. There has never been an orphan of God. Father, you have never left any of your children. You have never forsaken us. We are secure in your hand. And Father, you have never lost one of them. All of your sheep will make it home. All of your children will come to glory. And Father, that is not because we are able to keep ourselves, but it's because you are able to keep us, that you are able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to you through Christ. So Father, strengthen our heart, stir up our affections, and bless us as your people. We pray this in Christ's name.